This is an ABC podcast. All right. Awesome. Let's do this. Yay! On. Hello. Hello, Zen. Welcome to Adelaide. Coming to you from Adelaide, Lies. the beautiful city of Adelaide, capital of South Australia. Thanks, geography lesson. <laughs> no worries. Just in case you didn't know, you know. I love that your life now as a travelling performer has you just dotting around the country, landing yourself in different cities to perform Rocky Horror. This is the latest incarnation. You did a bit of a road trip too, which there might be a little bit of a chat about later on in Bang On. Mm. Mm. For those who are historical listeners of Bang On, this promises to be better than the paddle steamers Bang On <laughs> of of your many years ago. Um, but it's on a similar it's on a similar vibe. So just hang on to that. You'll know what I mean if you if you're if you're a traditional listener. If not, it was episode three or something. I banged on about paddle steamers once, and I've never lived it down. So um, still, still stand by that bang on. Bang fans celebrate by. the paddle steamers. In fact, it's become mm. sort of shorthand for when it's a slow week. Is this a paddle steamer bang? Yeah, is basically <laughs> what uh, our bang fam do celebrate, and they love it. Uh, but exactly. bang on, if, if you've been listening since the third episode, or maybe this is your first listen, this is your place for music, art, life and stuff. We're going to be talking about a lot of things this week. Actually, a really great piece that a lot of people have been talking about from a website called Bustle about therapy speak and whether or not it's making us selfish. And speaking of selfish, the latest episode of Succession went down this week. We've been talking a lot about Succession since the fourth and final season has been rolling in. And this episode was a big one. And I just want to flag that If you haven't watched it yet or you haven't caught up with the latest season or whatever, you don't want any spoilers, we're going to do a Mm. special succession bang at the very end of the episode so you've got a chance to tap out. So we will be talking about it, but absolutely with lots of spoiler alerts and you can stop listening at the very end. Yeah. But you sent me a piece this week which um, resonated. Speaking of classic bangs, (laughs) the spew bowl (laughs) could have its end. What is this news about Tupperware? The spew bowl is in jeopardy um, as we have... (laughs) discussed on previous bang-ons and and I think it's a fairly well-known fact here in Australia that most households, um, particularly back in the 80s and 90s, had a specific bowl. It came in a couple of colours but mostly it was a pale green Mm. bowl with a plastic lid that quite often you would find mum putting or dad putting a a lettuce, just an iceberg lettuce in, in the fridge. Mm. Um, But that bowl would also be utilised for uh, fruit salads, uh, perhaps a salad to take to a party. A rice salad, I think, would have been Ooh, something yes. delicious that you'd find in that bowl. Um, and also, if you're feeling unwell, quite often doubled as the spew bowl. <laughs> and it's part of our heritage, I think. It's the unspoken heritage. And I know Tony Armstrong's doing a new new uh, ABC TV show on Australian stuff, and I do hope the spew bowl <laughs> gets... A mention or at least a look in at some point because every Australian household has utilised this view bowl for many purposes and no one talks about it, but we all know it. As soon as you see that bowl, you know exactly what that means. Someone's crook, mum's mum's in a hurry. <laughs> Just set it <laughs> down b- in a hurry. beside the bedside, all the best overnight. Yeah. Here's something yeah. for you to aim into. Exactly, and, and put a lid on at the end. Um, Tupperware, <laughs> though, Tupperware is, is very much a part of our growing up, our, our shared history, because 
I think pre-internet, it was difficult to buy things that were of, A, a reasonably good quality in the materials that Tupperware is, but also they had a novel way of selling, which was basically they got people to sell them at parties and they became a thing. Like you'd get invited to a Tupperware party and you'd get a few little small trinkets and tidbits in plastic and you'd think that was amazing and they'd make you wear hats out of spew bowls. Um <laughs> That kind of thing, and it was a hoot. Everyone would get together, and then you'd buy something at the end if you had the cash, or if you were tight, you'd just go to the party and drink the champagne and not buy anything at all. And it's it's disappearing in terms of the way people are buying and the way people are selling their products. Everyone buys online these days, so it looks like Tupperware is struggling, which also says the spew bowl might be over. There's a generation of children that won't know the spew bowl. <laughs> It's funny, though, that the spew bowl has become so synonymous with Tupperware and vice versa because it is a very distinctive of a time mm. bowl. And when you think about Tupperware, one of the great things and, and when you think about it also kind of evil things is that it just never breaks. The reason that we have Tupperware from the 70s is because it n- will never die. This is the mm. other side of plastic. But a lot of people have grown up with this in their homes. And I don't remember if my mum ever went to a Tupperware party. Where did this Tupperware come from? But she has no new Tupperware in her cupboard. No. I always found it, and I remember this happened during lockdown I wanted some new Tupperware and there was no way that I could access it because they didn't have online sales. It was still very much like this private kind of you've got to know someone in the Tupperware realm or hold a Tupperware party. There's no like way that I could. a secret society. But, yeah, weird in this day and age. And I think that yeah. it's kind of like interesting and I guess inevitable that not only do you have the way that they've sold it but also the rise of other brands and people using less plastic is kind of this perfect storm of, of Tupperware's demise. But when I was yeah. reading this, article, which can I just say, first of all, shout outs to the BBC's business section that posted this article because they did have the line, the 77-year-old US company is seeing cracks form in the once revolutionary airtight ceiling business that made its famous. <laughs> just love that. That's poetry in business writing, isn't it? Business journalism that is. at its finest. But that is. one of the things that they talked about in this article was just how Tupperware wasn't just a business, but it was a way of of women coming together. And again, with the caveat, a different time, women who were much more likely to be homemakers, to be stay-at-home parents, very different to what we are today. It formed community, you know, and and it helped you connect with other people in, in times where you didn't have those other connectors, like going to work, like forming social bonds in, in other ways because you were a stay-at-home parent. And I thought that was kind of interesting in looking into the legacy of what is basically just plastic packaging, like, mm. you know, a tu- and, and also the fact that Tupperware has become such a huge iconic name. It's the same as Band-Aids. It's everyone calls whatever thing is sealing your yeah, food. Yeah, you're right. Tupperware. It's not like a, an airtight container. It's all Tupperware regardless of the brand. And what a legacy that is, right? Yeah. And I think too in terms of being more economical and being able to save food in a way that actually helped you know, the food inside as opposed to other ways of saving food. And it came in with refrigerators and the increase in technology and microwaves as well. It, it, all of it has a bit of a whiff of nostalgia for me and it's sad to see it go, but at the same time, it's also the original side hustle too Mm. for, for women where there was, no way to make money if you weren't allowed to work because quite often, you know, when women got pregnant, they had to resign. My mum had to resign mm. when she got pregnant originally and because, you know, you couldn't possibly be pregnant as a school teacher. 
And I think about that and I think, gosh, how did – mum never did Tupperware or anything like that, but how did, how did women make any money of their own? And this was probably a way – for, for many families. And not just and, a side hustle I, as well, but also flexible working hours. You know, you think about that, mm. like you could do something that we talk about now as becoming more and more possible since the pandemic because we show we can work in the times that we want to work as opposed to the nine to five. But Tupperware was doing that in the in the 50s. It's kind mm. of interesting when you think about this sort of context of um, what Tupperware is and how we think about it as a housewife's party, but actually quite revolutionary in the way that you think about labour for women in particular in that time. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and a savvy business model too. You don't have to pay for any workspaces or shop fronts or anything like that, which is, you know, probably not the best, but they certainly didn't pay their workers. They worked on a commission basis. So they were they were all for profit, let's be honest. It's not all not all golden, but I think there's a lot of things that will be gone when Tupperware is gone. <laughs> have you ever been to a Tupperware party? I think I went to one. I remember it was pretty cool because, like, they gave you little tiny miniature versions of things. Which I love. Um, not I to scale got, Tupperware. Not to scale Tupperware. Like I, oh I remember God. there was a not to scale because not only was there the spew bowl, there was the drink container. Do you remember that one? It was sort of green as well, I think, and it had the flat plastic lid but it also had the drink hole where you could pull the lid off. Yes. And I think I got a tiny one of those on a key ring. <laughs> Loved it. Loved it. <laughs> Jealous. You're going to see all of this stuff in vintage stores from here on in. It's going to be absolutely collector's items. Oh, and also it doesn't get manky too. You know how all the new stuff gets manky when you put like a pasta sauce in the microwave? Tupperware doesn't seem to get as manky. Which is why it was so easily translated from spew to iceberg lettuce, right? Because you you never know it's past or it's future. It just stands alone, whatever, whatever is held within it. Tupperware, you never know it's past or future. I think you can save it, Zan. I think this is going to save the brand. I wonder if this article is going to act like the finale of Neighbours where everyone gets scared it's going to go away and some big, you know, Amazon-type figure comes in and saves Tupperware at the 11th hour. Or maybe bang on Will. Who knows? It's us. It's us. Um, Speaking of things from the olden days, you shared another great piece from ABC Every Day with me this week about free-to-air television and the end of streaming for one particular family. This resonated so hugely with me, Miff. Yeah, this is from Jennifer Leake who um, made her children and I imagine the kids complained no end, (laughs) only watch free-to-air television for two weeks, an entire two weeks. I I imagine if this happened in any households or most households these days, there would be tears, there would be tantrums. Mutiny. Yeah, all sorts of things. But in actual fact... um, Having children, the author writes, who have grown up immersed in on-demand content, she said that they actually took to it like a duck to water. They really enjoyed the fact that they didn't have to choose because, as we all know, we all have decision fatigue these days. You, You get online, you have a look on Netflix and you go, 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 go. And then you end up watching nothing anyway and you bicker with your partner about what it is you feel like and then you land on something and it's not quite right but that'll do for now and you never watch the end of the series. So I think Free to Air gives you, it, it, it takes away that need to make a decision. You just put up with it a bit more and you don't feel so bad if you have to go to the loo or you miss a bit because it's just there. 
<laughs> and I kind of like I like the relaxation of that, and I think the kids did too. So that was actually nice to know. But there's something else about live to air too that the author notes is uh, live to air TV gives you an opportunity to see things that you wouldn't normally choose. Yes, and I think increasingly with algorithms online, rarely do we see things that aren't up our alley. And um, I'm not saying that, you know, it's great to watch the great railroads of... Um, <laughs> Is that in your algorithm? ...of Eastern Europe um, all the time. But it's <laughs> nice to watch an episode here and there. I love this piece because I like the idea of curated content. And obviously I've got a bias because I work in radio. But for the same reason that I fell in love with radio, you'll be surprised, like you said, for something that you never would have sought out yourself. And... TV and free-to-air TV does that as well. But it also kind of reminded me of often when I go on holidays, I will watch whatever DVDs are in the holiday houses, big draw under the television um, or whatever's on TV at the time. And it made me think of when I was once away with you Mm. at your little beach house that you were renting for a time during lockdown when we are able to escape the city. <laughs> and I think one night we just sort of flicked on the TV and Top Gun was on and it was fantastic. It was amazing. <laughs> I know. And we watched the whole thing and it went for about seven hours because of the ads, <laughs> but we loved it. So many ads. It was great. And I also, and- at that same holiday house, I another time when I went down and you weren't there, I just opened up the drawer and there was like, all right, I'm going to watch all the Bourne Identity films. I finally got around to watching Moonstruck, which I've been meaning to for years with Nicolas Cage and Cher, and, and I've Cher. always wanted to see it, and that was where I watched it because that was the one of the few DVDs that was in the drawer. And I think it's nice to have less choices and go, this is our lot and we're going to watch this, and whether it's a DVD draw curated for you or free-to-air television, I'm here for it. Not always, but sometimes it's nice not to have those decisions that you have to make. We have to make so many decisions every day and mm. it's paralysing sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I, I really struggled even as we'll talk about the road trip later, but doing the road trip, what to listen to. Mm. On the road, I, I looked at the app and I was like, I don't know <laughs> I can't choose. I've got enough going on. I had to sort, you know, all the stuff out to get on the road from Sydney to Adelaide and I just kind of left that till the last minute, which was a bit silly, but, yeah, it's... It's difficult. And then you end up listening to AM radio, classic hits AM radio, which was great. There is nothing like local ads on local radio, though. (laughs) Come on. It's the best. Spoken like a true country girl. The lot. Loved it. (laughs) Miff, did you see a lot of people sharing this article this week about therapy speak making us selfish? I had a lot of friends posting this on their Instagrams from um, a website called Bustle. And what, what was the vibe from your friends from this article posting it? Because I, I, I'm going to go straight in there. I did not know what to make of this article. I struggled with it, in I fact. Think, I think it connected with a lot of people because obviously they've had that experience with their friends. And I don't know whether it's a generational thing mm. or whether it's the, the friends that you, you have in your life, no judgment, but it's this sort of, I guess, as so many of us use therapy, and that is going to be basically one of the biggest jobs that you can go for, biggest growing industries, uh, therapy, mental health, all of that is just going to keep on you know, dominating our culture for so many reasons. And therapy helps a lot of people, myself included. But mm. this idea of therapy speak, which is kind of you know, the prescriptive language that describes certain 
psychological concepts and behaviours, but being used for people who aren't therapists. So to talk to their friends and say things like, you're toxic, you're a narcissistic personality, um, mm. without necessarily knowing that as a, as a fact, having, you know, diagnosed them or, or spent any time with them. And this piece in Bustle asking the question, is therapy speak making us selfish? I think did resonate. Yeah, um, maybe we should go into one of the examples of the therapy speak that, that particular people have experienced. Okay, here's one of the examples. Kate Hakala, 34, and from New York, once invited four of her friends to an intimate dinner at a pizza restaurant to celebrate her birthday. One friend showed up 25 minutes late. Quote, it was a little rude, a little annoying, but not the end of the world, Hakala says. I felt like I was still super polite to her and warm. After dinner and a low-key bar visit, the night wrapped early and Hakala went home. Close to midnight, the late friend called Hakala. She says, I need to address this. You made me feel unsafe and unloved tonight. Hakala says, I went, excuse me? And she's like, yeah, your demeanour was a little off and this has been building for a while and you really made me feel left out. Hakala had no idea what prompted this outburst and on her birthday, no less. I'm racking my brain to think, what did I do other than invite you to a really intimate dinner party with my closest friends and hug you and have drinks with you? She says, of course, I got off the phone and immediately cried and felt like shit. That Mm. kind of experience, I don't know. I just thought I would never do that. Like, it just seems quite extreme. And then to like call someone on their birthday and be like, I felt really unloved and, and, and left out. Yeah. yeah, I think the gist of the article is that people now have the tools and the language to explain certain things that they're experiencing in a friendship and and that's all well and good, but it's leaving people a little cold in terms of the explanation. I think that was kind of the gist of it, but also... I think it's a good thing that people have been given the terms to understand themselves, their behaviours and their needs, and I think it's something our generation was not afforded. We didn't even know what emotions were necessarily. I certainly didn't, and and how to deal with those things. We were never educated around those parts of, of our humanity. And I think the fact that we have the language and the tools these days, that is a great thing to be able to express yourself and, and put a name to it and share it with others. Problem is there are always assholes and assholes are going to use whatever's going around <laughs> to still be assholes. It also- and these people just sound like assholes. It's an article <laughs> of examples of assholes. Like there's one one woman whose friend, and this is a friend of five years, just basically said, I mean, I kind of loved it. She texted her friend, and, and this is like not a, a shallow friendship, five years, said, making plans to meet up, uh, the friend pivoted, this longtime friend told Anna, the woman, she wanted to end their five-year friendship. When Anna asked if it was something she did, her friend told her she wasn't comfortable answering and that there was no more room for discussion. She said, I'm in a place where I'm trying to honour my needs and act in alignment with what feels right within the scope of my life. And I'm afraid our friendship doesn't seem to fit in that framework, the friend wrote. I can no longer hold the emotional space you've wanted me to and I think the support you need is beyond the scope of what it can offer. Look, It's like I a HR email. <laughs> It is like an HR email, but at least she didn't ghost her, which would be my natural inclination if I just didn't want somebody in my life because I don't have the language, I don't have the balls, I don't have the, you know, I hate conflict. And I, I think the suggestion is that there's this 
also avoids conflict. It does. Totally. That's the thing. It's like those two things, ghosting or shutting someone down and saying, this is how I feel, end of story, Mm. forgets that there's another person involved in this. There's another group of friends. There's another part of that story. And I think this is one of the key things that the Mm. article sort of pulls apart, that in the real world, yes, you've got to look out for yourself, but also realise that you're living within a community, within people who also have feelings and shutting people down and going, this is how I feel, completely disregards how they may feel. Yeah, Mm. confrontation is really hard. Telling someone that it's not working for you anymore is a way to do it, but you've also got to give them the right of reply because they're usually on the other end going, what the fuck happened? Where is this coming from? And just to be left out in the cold is a form of ghosting, Mm. but it's sort of framed in this kind of therapy speak that makes you feel as though I'm doing this in an intelligent and informed way but it's actually just another highfalutin way of ghosting someone. It's and just really- assholes be assholes, regardless. <laughs> if they're an asshole and they're going to be an asshole, they're just an asshole and they're better off not your friend, to be honest. And and look, and I hate to say it, there was a moment in here where I was like, oh, no shit, Sherlock. There's a psychologist in here who goes recommending practising something called mutuality, which involves thinking about the other person's needs and your needs at the same time and deciding which are more urgent to prioritise at the moment, which is great. But, like, if that's not a natural thing for them yeah. to think about how the other person is feeling, then maybe they're not a great person to be friends with. Assholes be assholes, as you said. Assholes be assholes. In closing, assholes be assholes. <laughs> Whatever language they have at their fingertips, they'll still be around, you know? Really good relationships are a two-way street, says one of the psychologists in this. And I think that the other point that they make is that people who practice this kind of therapy speak uh, run the risk of being really isolated and lonely. If you keep on shutting people out, if you keep on pushing them away without any explanation, that's not a way to interact in the world and you're just going to isolate mm. yourself. Um, but so- I also don't I don't think this should shut down people's desire to use these terms. I, I, I genuinely think they're... It's a really toxic thing to say, Miff. What? Hey? <laughs> I'm joking! Oh, I thought you were serious. <laughs> I thought you were... Oh, my God, now Bang Fam are going to think that I'm one of these assholes. <laughs> No, I just I just love that, that there's ways of explaining things, but there'll always be people who will get it wrong and use it against you. And I, I genuinely thought you were telling me it's toxic then. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Uh, if you're interested in reading it, it resonated with a lot of people. The examples are quite something. Um, and, really yeah, are. maybe just a note to before you start diagnosing people with uh, – uh, multiple personality disorder or narcissistic tendencies. Just think about, you know, maybe that you're not a psychologist and there's shit going on in everyone's lives. Yeah. And talking with people about what's going on in yours as opposed to shutting them down could be a good idea. We're mm. going to talk about Although succession. I'm sending a text right now. It's coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you really? I so wish you had the little uh, boomer texting sound going on. No, no. <laughs> Righto. <laughs> Love you too, babes. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to talk about succession in a moment, a little mm. end bang, a Roy bang, if you will, um, but we're going to make that nice and clean at the end for anybody who's scared. So what are you banging on about first? Well, like I said, I've gone from Sydney to Adelaide with the dog and and my partner, and we took it took it quite slowly. And I've got to say, doing a road trip 
gave me life. I have not done a proper road trip in years. I did do the drive from Melbourne to Sydney, but that was a bit different. It was all a bit chaotic and, you know, trying to get things done and organised. And But the, the road trip from Sydney to Adelaide was just fabulous. I, I just... I. I want to tell everyone to go and do one. Take a few days, download some audiobooks, be a bit more organised than me, don't just listen. <laughs> I mean, country radio is great, but stay in local motels. Mm. You know, they're never the the best quality, but it's just such a nice vibe. Drive up to your door, order some local food, head on down a country street, have a look in some windows. It felt exactly what I needed at this point in my life and it was was such a lovely way to connect with Australia because you see how big it is. It's a lovely way to have a look at how the landscape changes and mm. but also, you know, a way to really see what's going on with the environment in this country and it gets us out of our, our little bubble. It was great and nourishing in, in so many ways and not all good. Like as I said, seeing the environmental devastation was pretty confronting in some parts. You think that's not here, but it is. It really is. You know, it makes you want to fight harder for the things that you believe in, all of those things. And also to go to the toilet with a hygienically sealed uh, paper seal. <laughs> there is nothing like it in a freshly cleaned hotel room. It just feels motel right, room, doesn't it? Say. It just feels yeah. right. Yeah. It was, it was. Look, it was wonderful. feels right, all of it. And, you know, support local businesses. Small country towns need it. They're struggling more than ever at the moment. It was just a really good thing to do. Did you get a continental breakfast with the two slices of toast in the little waxy paper bag. bag? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. Good. And spaghetti from a can on toast. <laughs> Yum. And did you go Yum. through your old stomping ground? Were you going through the hometown? Sure did. Went through Redcliffs. Stayed in Redcliffs, actually, and uh, just for a night and had a had a gorgeous time. Actually went to the local club and and had dinner there and it's funny you know like do they have a portrait really... of you up on the wall like the queen no no they should no i don't really know too many people there anymore i don't think you know like everything moves on and and buildings were shut but still there and it's yeah there was a lot of lot of emotions but yeah it was gorgeous it was really nice it was nice to show my history to somebody else too love that and how did yeah. viv go in the car was she a good girl Viv is awesome. She's a good girl. We took her to the Perry Sandhills outside of Wentworth. Oh, she would have gone sick on those. She had an amazing time. Amazing. And I just spent the whole time taking videos of her like an <laughs> annoying person. <laughs> Stage parent. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, what about you? What are you banging on about? I'm also banging on about the great outdoors, but in a more extreme scenario. I've been watching Alone Australia, which is the <gasps> franchise that I've has got been... to watch it. Oh, my God, it's so good, Miff. And if, if anybody knows about Alone, I think we might have talked about it on Bang On we Before. Um, if you miss that, it's the idea is basically that I think it's eight or ten contestants basically get dropped into a very remote place and they've got a whole bunch of different cameras with them and they record themselves trying to survive. They're given nothing. They've got to build shelter. They've got to find water. I think they've given a flint to start a fire and that's it. They've got to find all their food. And really what it becomes is you is you see these episodes that have taken place in, um, in Canada, in, in Patagonia, is that it's often more of a mental thing than a physical thing, being alone, mm. being completely alone. It's very different to these group activities where you're scheming against everyone like Survivor and other stuff like that. And it is incredible reality television. So now the franchise has come to Australia. SBS is co-producing it with the people who do alone and they're in a very remote part of Western Tasmania. 
And it is so good. It is so, so good. One of the things that really stands out about it is that the series across the world has gotten better from being the very first couple, maybe two or three series, were just all white alpha males. And it's become a lot more diverse, more women, more people of colour involved in Alone. But up until now, there haven't been that many Indigenous First Nations people involved in the various series around the world. The Australian Alone changes that. And that's a really interesting perspective with the different um, Indigenous contestants that are a part of the series for so many reasons. I don't want to give away any spoilers, but it becomes a really interesting part of it about how people connect with the land, work with it, fight against it or not, all of that stuff. And that's a really interesting part of the story. But uh, there are some amazing characters. I've already got my favourites. Um, Dwayne, who's one of the First Nations contestants, is a wildlife and environment officer. Love Dwayne. Kate is a wildlife biologist and an absolute legend. Uh, Gina, the rewilding facilitator, I just want to find out what's going on with her, particularly because in the opening credits, she looks like she's eating the skeleton of a carcass of something, and I need to find out what animal she's doing that to. And Mike, the pilot as well, both Gina and Mike, have gained 19 kilos before going on the series. Wise, very wise. So that they have 150,000 extra calories to burn before they even start so that they can not necessarily find food straight away and they can build their shelters. So the approach to all of this is fascinating. And And warmth too. You're in Tassie. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It just rains constantly. I will say this. Unlike the other series where there's panthers and bears, the Tasmanian devil doesn't scare me as much. (laughs) You bring a little (laughs) grunting Tasmanian devil. I just I don't feel the threat. Like the cartoon. I don't feel the threat. I think it's more of a mental threat and the rain pissing you off, just that incessant rain and the cold of that. Snaky snakes. uh, Snakes. I I don't know if there's many snakes. I mean they're warm blooded, aren't they? I don't know if there's many snakes down that part of Tassie. I mean there's eels. There's a lot of snakes, I reckon. Is there? Yeah. But when it's raining they'd be hiding, wouldn't they? Come on, Tassie Bang fan, tell us about the snakes in your area. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Albie Mangles. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, it's great. I love it. Alone Australia. It's on SBS On Demand and um, there's three episodes. I think that this morning I got a little notification of a new episode. So there's possibly four now. Haven't watched that yet, but uh, love okay. it to bits. All right. Thank you. That's done awesome. so well. It's just so Good nice. To, so nice to see like a, a show that is a franchise come to Australia and it's as great. Oh, and there's lots of swearing because, you know, Australians. Brilliant, brilliant. I've been meaning to watch it. So thank you. That's, that's um, spurred me on. You'll love it. All right, are we ready? Big spoiler alert. If you want to tap out now, here is your final chance, Bang Fan. We've loved having you this week. We'll see you next week. Or stick around if you want a bit of this. Yes, it's a very special Roy Bang, the Roy family, the key proponents of a little show called Succession, which is now in its fourth and final season and this week's episode everyone's talking about R.I.P. you if you're trying to avoid spoilers and you're on Twitter this week. Yeah, I, I mean, I I saw your tweet and you went, it was like an exhale of breath or something, you went, that was a big one or something like that and I went, oh, I wonder what's happened. I was trying but to then, be really innocuous about it, sorry if I I know, no, it was anyway. good, it was good, it was perfect, that's a perfect way to deal with it but then... The LA Times <laughs> ran an obituary on Logan Roy, and I'm like, oh, well, there you go. And they did Could it, they... like, in real time too. They didn't even yeah. give people a chance. Again, in this day and age when this is appointment television, but a lot of people are streaming it later, right, and they did it as soon as it landed. I thought that was a bit mm. much. Yeah. 
yep, spoiled it for me straight away. I was like, oh, okay. Better catch up then, so, which I did. And I watched it last night. My goodness, what an episode. What an episode. Jesus. Amazing episode. There's so much to talk about with this episode that we wanted to just kind of unpack a little bit of it. One of the things that really, I guess, was the overarching feeling for me was it just felt the death of Logan Roy after this being this, you know, giant in the series, literally the kingpin of the whole mm. series, succession being the aim of the game. It happens. The succession is now going to happen. But the way it happened was so ordinary. It mm. Like you didn't see him the whole episode, you saw the ends of his legs, you briefly saw the top of his head as he was laying down, but there weren't those usual tropes of, you know, little tells, like at the start of the episode, him yeah. going, oh, my chest is hurting or my arm hurts or, mm. uh, or you know, some lingering moments where there's an important phone call. You didn't see any of the action happening as it did. Yeah. It just, and even that confusion around the family themselves, particularly Roman, going, is he dead? Is he dead? I'm not believing it. The emotion, the fear, all of that dizziness that anyone who's experienced the death of a loved one knows keenly what that feels like. They just captured that so brilliantly, didn't they? Mm, it was just yeah. uh, really got inside my head the way they did that. It was amazing. Yeah, it was It, it was brilliant. It, it's brilliant television. And I think you made reference to his role in the family and, and, you know, how he is portrayed, Logan Roy, as a titan of the business world and, and this huge figure who in the end, you know, popped his clogs in the dunny on his own private jet in the middle of nowhere. Like just nowhere, nothing, that's it. Popped what? his clogs in the dunny. Well, he did. <laughs> and it's so, it's such an anticlimax, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we all want to go, really. <laughs> I want to pop my clogs in the dunny on my private jet. Why are you not writing recaps? <laughs> <laughs> yes. There was no drama around it at all. It just happened and they didn't, like you said, there was no build-up, no nothing. It just happened. And it's almost like that's all he deserved. He'd isolated everybody. Mm. The final dinner he had after his birthday was not with his family but with his security guy mm. and then he's on a plane missing his own son's wedding and that's where he dies in nowhere land in no territory um when roman looks at his phone and they look at the shares dropping and he goes there's dad mm. like it's so it cold just, isn't it it's so cold and it was a brutal parting with logan roy i think they gave him no dignity They've got no, no warmth. No money saves you, though. You see no. Kendall trying to call around and get the best doctors and the best fit, this and that, trying to literally get on the phone with the pilot. And one of the, you know, the Logan's colleagues is like, he's flying the plane. Like, no money can save this. At the end of the day, mm. we are all human and he is a man who has had a heart attack and that happens and shit happens and he's dead now and there's no pomp mm. and circumstance. And, mm. again, the very ordinariness of it um, is a complete leveller. I've been reading a lot of think pieces about this episode in the lead up to today and there's some really good ones. In fact, one of my favourites was by a writer called James Ponowozik from the New York Times. I'm going to put that in the show notes. It's a short piece but a really great piece that you should just read in full, particularly referring to those ideas around all the stages that we go through in 
the face of death and how the episode just captures all of that mm. madness of feeling um, in such a, a concise way. But also Stuart Heritage in the Garden was writing about, you know, the the hindsight in saying, you know, we should have seen this coming, which is obviously easy to write about. And everyone's been talking about the poster for this season, how if you look in the top bit, there's a plane in the background. Oh, of course, Oof. there was a sign, you know, as if you'd pick that out. But he says, in terms of the context of the whole of succession, the most consequential succession episodes happen at family gatherings. There was the season one finale, the wedding set Nobody Is Ever Missing, in which Kendall accidentally killed a waiter and then fled the scene of the crime. Remember that? It feels like it's a long mm. time ago. Then there was the boat set season two finale, This Is Not For Tears, in which Kendall finally turned on his father in spectacular fashion. This week's episode was about a wedding set on a boat. Honestly, we should have been better prepared. Yes, <laughs> but how could absolutely. you ever know that? I mean, everything <laughs> hindsight is uh, is twenty twenty vision, isn't it? It's just rooms, rooms, expensive rooms is the entire <laughs> set directive. The boat was of kind of shit, show. though. The boat that that was, was shit. <laughs> um, but also, too, someone had a great meme I saw online the other day, and it's it's like someone be posting. This was a great scene in succession, and then there's a photo of just dudes on computers. Yeah. <laughs> really? It's so true. It's, it's all, just different rooms. It's all about just the writing. People though, isn't in it? expensive rooms. All about the writing and the script. It's an amazing script. Yeah. See, it feels yeah. like there's so much going on in this episode. I think I'm going to watch it again, too, because I think I'll be able to pick apart so many more of those little moments. And I think even though it is. It's intense watching it. Again, for anybody who's dealt with um, death, I think that that resonates in a really kind of triggering way, those feelings of particularly uh, Sarah Snook, just amazing performance of her dealing with that, the anger, the hatred, the love, the fear, the planning, the scheming, all of it. But, um, yeah, I think I need to watch that episode again. Mm. So I think there's seven more episodes Ten right. episodes. This was the You'd third episode. You'd be pissed off if you're Brian Cox, wouldn't you? You go signing up for a season and you get knocked out at three. I don't think that he knew either. You would have known by then, but like when they filmed it, they didn't tell them which order things were going to happen in. And he was called by the show producers and the, and the writer Jesse Armstrong and said, mm. "Yeah, you're going in season three. And apparently, it was you like, know what "Oh, I, I hope thought, you said. Thought it would be fuck, fuck off." off. <laughs> <laughs> he thought it was going to be episode seven or eight. He's like, "All right then, see you later." But there will be flashback scenes. So he has shot more scenes and we will see Brian Cox as Logan Roy a few more times with the flashback scenes. But seven episodes to find out who succeeds as the victor of Waystar Roco. I'm signed up. I can't wait. Thank you for sticking around, Bang Fam. Had to talk about succession as always. Um, We'll see you next week. See you next week. Love you. (laughs) Oh, do you? See, I'm from Adelaide. You yeah, text me I do. That. I did. I'm sorry. I just didn't get one back, did I? Need to this relationship is toxic. I need to establish some boundaries, so um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to be taking some time out. I might see you next week or I might not. Maybe not. Bye. Yeah, okay. 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 Yeah, bye. Okay. On my birthday and everything. Bang. Is it your actual birthday? That, I was going to no, say. It was just a callback. It was a callback to that, <laughs> that example. A good, that was a good callback. Yeah. It's like, fuck, is it your birthday next week?